1: Of our healthcare system. I like what Doc Wallach is saying and doing to enlighten people about healthcare. Thanks, Alex. To purchase Yongevity products, go
5: to the KCAA website at KCAARadio.com and click on the Yongevity banner on the upper right side of the KCAA homepage.
2: You're on board KCAA's Inland Talk Express. KCAA, Loma Linda, 1050 AM, the station that leaves no
1: listener behind.
2: Culture Shocks,
5: with your host, Barry Lynn. All right, welcome to today's edition of Culture Shocks. This is Barry Lynn. You know, we've been talking on and off about the hoarding phenomenon on this program that's been going on, of course, for over a decade, before, before there was even a reality television show about hoarding. But today's guest has written a breathtaking account of what you combine a kind of compulsive shopper with a hoarder father, both of whom she still loves dearly, but how that combination could create a nightmarish growing up environment in a four bedroom, two car garage, Long Island home. We're joined today by the author of the memoir, Coming Clean, Kimberly Ray Miller. She's a New York writer and actress, and author of this brand new book, Coming Clean. Kimberly, thanks so much for being with us.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
5: When you were, say, in high school, if a fellow student had found out where you actually lived, you took great pains to avoid that happening. But if somebody found out, they came over, they knocked on the door and and maybe found it open, unlocked, and they went in, what would be the first thing that student would have seen?
3: Well, by the time I was in high school, you couldn't really even open the front door because of was so much stuff that had been piled up behind it that to get in and out we sort of had to squeeze in um, through about 10 inches of space, which is as far as the door would open. So the first thing they would see was this mountain of stuff, which included old air conditioners, an old Christmas tree that had never been taken down, um, boxes and boxes of things that had never been opened, Mm. clothes. Jackets that we'd thrown there, papers on the floor, um, dirty carpets on our stairways. And and the stairs, too, were just a place to put things.
5: Put things. So things are everywhere. How many rooms and how many floors did you have?
3: Uh, The house was a a two-story house with four bedrooms on the upstairs with an attached attic, um, two bathrooms, uh, the downstairs had one bathroom, a kitchen, a den, a dining room, and a living room
5: now we 've had we 've talked about people, including a reasonably well known at least at the time uh, set of brothers, pair of brothers uh, who had taken over gradually more and more space in a New York City hotel and they were art collectors and they would say well we 're collecting things and that, and they would they would have a kind of method to the madness of where to put things were there any areas of your house where there were certain collections like we're only going to put unopened boxes here or was everything all mixed up throughout the entire house
3: well i think hoarding in general sort of has a theme to it for a lot of people and, and from in my father's case it was always information hoarding so mm-hmm. um the majority of the things that he hoarded were papers so newspapers books magazines business cards, flyers, uh, anything he could learn from. And so there were just papers pretty much everywhere. I wouldn't say that there was a method to the madness Mm -hmm. in terms of where things were, but there certainly were categories of, of what came into the house.
5: When you describe what was in the house, if one could in fact barely squeeze through the door and look at it, you use the phrase... We, You you talked about we, and I wondered, did we include you? Would you just throw down the winter coat on the stairs or any place you could shove it, or was the we mainly mom and dad?
3: No, I, I definitely participated. I mean, I wouldn't say that I brought a lot of things in, but I certainly didn't grow up with a real respect for my environment. You know, to me, anything that came into the house was basically garbage. And, and so I didn't really take care of any of the things I owned as a child because, you know, it didn't matter to me. It just all became sure. sort of swallowed up by the house.
5: Do you remember the specific time when you discovered through conversations with the students at your school that there was something about your environment that was vastly different than that from any other kid you knew? Can you remember? Is that a pinpoint moment?
3: Well, I remember when I realized something was wrong with the way we lived. I think I'd always known that we were different, that you know, my friends lived in clean houses and I lived in a dirty one. But... Um, when I really realized that things, something was wrong with the way we lived, I was in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. And I had um, accidentally, I'll say, told my school counselor that my parents locked my little sister in the trunk and the, the dog peed on her or chewed on but, her, and she spent the, the evening in the sink being soaked. Of course, I'm an only child, so my sister sure. was my doll. And uh, Child Protective Services were called to inspect the house to save this poor doll that Mm. was being mistreated. And what resulted was this manic cleaning spree by my family to make sure that I wouldn't be taken away from them because of the conditions of the house. And afterward, my mom basically said, you know, Daddy is just different than other daddies. He's he's messy, and and we can't tell anybody about it. Mm. And that's when I realized that something was wrong with the way we
5: lived. Between, say, kid kindergarten and, and high school, did you consciously, as you're learning more and more about how different your house is from other kids' houses and you're seeing more kids' houses, did you see that your situation was in fact getting worse than it was in elementary school?
3: Well, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things that happened over the course of those years. Um, for, to start with, um, the house I was born in actually burned down when I was seven years old. It wasn't a result of the hoarding. It was actually an electrical fire within the walls. And so we started over. And that was sort of the biggest miracle in my life, is that I I finally got this big, clean house to to live in. Um, But shortly before that, my father had um, endured a traumatic brain injury at work. Uh, He drove a bus, and part of the bus actually fell on him and um, Mm -hmm. caused brain damage. And he'd always been a hoarder, but after that, after losing his home and everything in it and losing his job and, and his, his physical health, the hoarding was so exacerbated by those traumas that in the new home, things just became so much worse. Um, and, and after that, my mother, uh, when I was nine, underwent um, spine surgeries, a series of spine surgeries that were unsuccessful. And while she had always been the more grounded of my parents, after that she'd become so depressed by the loss of her own physical health. Um, She was bedridden for over a year. She, too, lost her job for a time. Mm -hmm. And the depression sort of turned into her shopping manically. And so the combination of the two of them at that point just sort of spiraled
6: out
5: of control. Uh, The... When you talk about things spiraling out of control, normally anything reaches a, a head point where there's simply nothing else to do. I remember talking not too long ago to a woman about Japanese culture one afternoon, and she she mentioned that one of the reasons that uh, even though you have a lot of consuming in Japan, it is a very much a consumer culture, um, you won't walk into a house and see five television sets for a very practical reason the houses aren't big enough to have five if you're an early adopter of a brand new technology you hope it's a little bit smaller than your giant you know amplifier that you had before because you don't have much space do hoarders literally run out of space as just no place to put one more box one more newspaper one more box of cereal that hasn't been thrown away do you reach a human physical limit?
3: Um, I, you know, I think a lot, too. Um, but what's really important to, to note here is that hoarding is a mental illness. It's, it's recently been added
6: specifically right. to the
3: DSM as its own particular category of behavioral disorder. Uh, and it's rooted both in genetics and both in um, and early childhood development. And so these are not rational thoughts. They don't think, well, I've run out of space, I need to stop. Collecting, or I already have a television, I don't need another one. Right. It's not rational. And so, um, yeah, people do, I think, out, out hoard their space. Right? I think that's exactly what happened with the Collier brothers mm-hmm. in the early 20th century in their home in Harlem. They were literally killed by their hoard.
5: That's you know? right. That's yeah. right. A, a very sad tale, or reported in some of the more general books about hoarding the Collier brothers. Uh, you, you can be crushed. When, you, when you're walking through tunnels made out of junk and garbage and metal and it falls on you, it can be fatal. When we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Kimberly Ray Miller, author of Coming Clean. She grew up in a hoarding family. We'll talk about the health problems that developed as well. We'll be back on Culture Shocks. Now back to Culture Shocks with Barry Lynn
2: on the Genesis Communication Network.
7: Every month, Americans United for Separation of Church and State publishes an award-winning magazine called Church and State. It exposes efforts by the so-called religious right to eat away at the core principles of religious freedom. Should your tax dollars fund expensive private religious schools and cut back funding for your local public schools? Should government bureaucrats get back in the business of writing unity prayers for your children to recite at school? Should we teach good, solid science or replace it with religious messages? about intelligent design. Should special interest groups force your school library to take popular books from the Harry Potter series to Judy Blume novels off the shelves? These are the issues explored every month in Church and State Magazine. To learn more, go to www.au.org. Americans United fights to protect and promote the constitutional principle of church-state separation. For more information, please call us at 1-800-875-3707.
8: Call me at 1-800-686-2237, extension 116. That's 1-800-686-2237, extension 116. Be proactive, not reactive. Call 1-800-686-2237, extension 116.
2: Before another autumn arrives, celebrate the closing days of summer with the first annual Blue Green Organic Summer Fest. Friday, September 20th through Sunday the 22nd on beautiful Madeline Island, Wisconsin. It's three days of family-friendly fun and admission is totally free. There's arts and crafts vendors, a farmer's market, and activities for the kids. Plus, great live music with nine bands, both regional and local, including headliners The Suburbs and Allison Scott. It's hosted by Blue Green, serving great organic food on bell street on the restaurant and event center grounds sponsorship and vendor booths are still available call 952-556-8707 the blue green organic summer fest september 20th through 22nd madeline island's never seen anything like it and it's free like us on facebook and visit bluegreenorganicsummerfest.com sponsored by south shore brewery fresh key fry wines freezor legendary waters the storm 99.7 and 90 for life longevity
0: absorption of food nutrients aids in controlling yeast infections is never freeze dried and uses three groups of live viable beneficial microbes to cleanse and remove toxins order proem1 daily probiotic cleanse at terraganics.com spelled t e r a g a n i x.com terraganics.com or call toll free 866-369-3678 that's 866-369-3678 proem1 the raw probiotic
5: all right we are back right here on culture shocks i'm your host barry lynn and we're talking to kimberly ray miller who has written a memoir about growing up in the house of a hoarder her father Uh, During most of the life that she recommends, and then even worse, after a traumatic brain injury, started to keep everything. He was, in particular, an information hoarder. That is to say, he kept newspapers, magazines, books. Who knows, even if it's a 10-year-old magazine, you might want to go and research it. And uh, folks to this day, even with the Internet, right, Kimberly, they still often have this information fixation that suggests that even though they know something's online forever, uh, they still have to keep it physically in their house.
3: Absolutely. And I think, well, I think more so for older generations where not everything was computers uh, ready when they were growing up. And so I think there's a real nostalgia aspect.
5: Did you have any private space, or in your? Did you have a bedroom, for example, where you could actually uh, sleep on a bed, put up a poster of, I don't know, Leaf Garrett, or uh, in the bathrooms? I mean, could you? Did you have one that was kind of quasi empty, or was this hoarded material literally everywhere, including in what most families would call the child space? Well,
3: I will say that Leaf Garrett is a little bit. Uh, too old for me, but um <laughs> yes i uh, I did have a bedroom, but you know I think that's really important to note is that I didn't really know anything different, and so i my room was just as bad as the rest of the house, mm. and you know things from the hallway would. Eventually find their way into my bedroom. I'm, my parents certainly didn't store things in my room. Right. But I wouldn't say that I was any better than my parents when I lived at home. Hmm. And I, I would definitely have the, the, th- the things that floated into my bedroom from
5: other right. places. Okay, but you you said earlier, and and it is important to note this, and and you're right, that the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual used by psychiatrists and by physicians generally now has a category for for hoarding, and certain criteria, we may get a chance to talk about it, like how do you identify a person as a hoarder? But you say, you kind of caught up with the culture, I'd call it, of the house, and so you know, what was the difference between taking, I don't know, a stuffed animal and a couple of books and just throwing them on your floor? Because, I mean, everywhere else looked that way. Did, is it possible, and do we have research about whether hoarding with its, certainly partially at least, genetic component can be passed on to children like yourself?
3: Absolutely. I think, um, you know, Johns Hopkins uh, University actually found a marker on the- chromosome uh, in families with a high propensity for hoarding, and mm. uh, they don't necessarily know what that means yet, but it is indicative of a genetic component. And I know in my father's family, I've actually recently learned this, that I didn't know this while I was uh, writing the book, um, there were other hoarders in the family tree. Huh. Um, his aunt was a hoarder. His mother had the tendency. And so whether or not it's nurture versus nature is really, I think, dependent on the family or, or the
6: environment. But there
3: are cases where hoarding skips a generation, where a is sure. a hoarder and the, the children don't have those tendencies, but then they'll see it a generation later.
5: There are, in addition, there are hoarders who hoard only animals, you know, this is so-called cat ladies. I don't really like that phrase, but uh, sometimes where people just, uh, they, they might not, keep the newspapers but they sure keep every cat there are also people who seem to be able to distinguish between uh, garbage that is rotting food for example and papers or knickknacks or pieces of equipment or artworks that at least don't rot while they're sitting there but it strikes me that your father kind of did some of both
3: well, I wouldn't say that he kept things that were rotting, but I do think that the house sort of rotted around us. You know, yeah. my father wasn't one of the, the hoarders, and there are people like this um, who are called, you know, dirty hoarders as opposed to clean hoarders, Yeah. who keep, you know, um, bodily fluids or, or food until it expired. Um, mm. And in my family's case, we didn't keep those things on purpose. We just sort of abandoned parts of the house when, right. when they became too full. And, um, you know, the house through age started to deteriorate and so as pipes broke and things leaked and the walls started to
6: mould and, and
5: the paper became Yeah, to I mean, y- you, you describe... Yeah, you describe it literally kind of a flood uh, in plumbing that you can't get fixed, and so you take a shower at a local gym once a week because you're not going to get it fixed, among other reasons because you don't want anybody in the house to fix it. But but when it comes to a house that's rotting, even if there's not garbage everywhere, you talk about rats in the walls, you talk about fleas, where you would have to literally describe to your uh, fellow schoolmates uh, oh yeah i have a lot of mosquitoes in my backyard because he couldn't admit that there were fleas there that's a that's a pretty horrific thing in and of itself as a young person were you concerned about your health or did this just go with the territory well I'm, my family's a little different and my body's a little different because there're fleas on it
3: Well, I think it's a little of both. On one hand, that was my normal. You know, as abnormal as it was and as abnormal as I knew it was, it was still my normal. It was still home. And, you know, my family and I are still very close, and my parents were very involved in my life, and and life was very, very sort of, you know, normal outside the house for us. Right. Um. So home was where my family was, and it was in its own way a safe place for me. But but I I was overwhelmed with this feeling that I needed to compulsively hide my parents and protect them and protect myself and, and not let anyone see who we
5: really were. What was the closest? I mentioned about the boiler breaking, there's no water, you don't allow a repairman in. What's the closest call your parents had with somebody actually learning the hard facts of the secrets that they were hiding and that you were helping them to cover up?
3: Well, um, when I was nine, my father admitted himself to a mental hospital. and uh, mm. This was long before hoarding was a part of our cultural guys, and, and conversation. And so he went to this mental hospital and said, you know, I don't know why I do this, but it's hurting my family. And they told him he was depressed and gave him Prozac and sent him home. And um, my my mother's friend had picked him up to drive him home, and he came into the house to to see my mother. And my mother immediately shoot him out <laughs> and talked oh. to him on the front yard. Uh, but that was probably the closest. And I think after that, my, my parents really started to sever ties with their friends because they were so afraid of being discovered.
5: And there was no point of actual discovery. There was no wandering police officer looking for a, a stray cat who knocks on your door and goes, what is happening here? No. 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 Um, your mom uh, explained to you, as you said earlier, that, uh, well, your father's a little different. You know, this is he, he does uh, collect things and so on. Um, and your dad, of course, was in that, uh, the hospital, uh, so you got those senses. Did he ever talk to you about this habit himself? Did he explain it in some way that might have sounded quasi-reasonable? And we're going to get the answer to that in a minute. Uh, Kimberly Ray Miller, coming clean, living in this hoarder's house with parents that she to this day loves because they gave her something, but they also gave her a terrible secret that she writes about in Coming Clean. And we're going to find out whether an explanation that Dad offered to what in the world he thought he was doing. We'll be back on Culture Shocks. You're listening to Culture Shocks with Barry Lynn
2: on the Genesis Communication Network.
7: Our nation's founders believed that all Americans have the right to worship according to their own beliefs or not to worship at all. So strong was their commitment to religious freedom that they enshrined it in the first sentence of the Bill of Rights. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. We call this constitutional guarantee the first freedom. Religion is deeply personal, and Americans must be free to practice without coercion. There must be a separation of church and state. We are on the verge of losing this fundamental freedom. You may wonder, what can I do? The answer is simple. Do what our founders did. Sign your name to a very important document, the First Freedom First Petition. Go to www.firstfreedomfirst.org and sign it today. By standing together, we can send a powerful message to our elected officials.
2: Alabama, it's coming. And it's the event you and your family will not want to miss. The Southern Preppers Convention and Green Living Expo. Saturday and Sunday, September 7th and 8th at the newly renovated Oxford Civic Center in Oxford, Alabama, where admission is totally free. There's something for everyone. Free classes and seminars on topics like food preparation, food harvesting, and food preservation. Free giveaways every 30 minutes. You could win seed kits, food, doTERRA oil, starter kits, water filters and more, including a year's supply of food. Guest speakers include Bob from Black Dog Survival School, Mike from White Harvest Seeds, Dr. Tom Stoner from Dr. Medkits, and more. And be sure to stop by and check out the longevity booth, the Southern Preppers Convention and Green Living Expo, September 7th and 8th, a weekend of education and preparation that's totally free to attend. Don't forget, the Country Inn and Suites in Oxford has special rates available for those who attend the expo. Get all the details at the Southernpreppers.com That's thesouthernpreppers.com.
1: Call now at 800 346 6829 to learn how I can help you. You know your IRS debt will not go away by itself, but you don't have to live in fear anymore. New changes to IRS policies will help more people than ever before eliminate their debts once and for all. There's no need for you to suffer another day with IRS debt. Call 800 346 6829. I can help you eliminate wage and bank levies, release tax liens, and negotiate a settlement with the IRS that will put your tax nightmare behind you forever. Call 800 34 No Tax or go to my website, TaxHelpOnline.com That's TaxHelpOnline.com
0: don't throw away leftovers. Instead, throw all your leftovers, vegetable peels, eggshells, coffee grounds, pizza crusts, and more into the Bokashi. If you love to garden and compost but don't like the hassle of turning a compost bin or the smell, then check out the EM Bokashi Food Waste Recycling System from TerraGenics. Finally, a way to recycle all your food and plant waste safely and effectively and stop using fertilizers, the EM Bokashi Food Waste Recycling System. Rather than decomposition, the Bokashi System uses fermentation to break down waste, so it takes less time to create nutrient dense humus for crops or gardens with no turning and no obnoxious odors. To learn more and order your Bokashi online, visit Terraganics.com and click on the orange button. That's Terraganics.com, spelled teragani xcom or call 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Recycle all your food wastes in about six weeks with the Bokashi Food Waste Recycling System from Terraganics.com. Terraganics, life's getting better
5: all right we are back right here on culture shocks i'm your uh easy for me to say as i am your host barry lynn coming cleans the book we're talking about uh something that we have discussed in this show on a number of other occasions kimberly ray miller is its author a memoir about growing up in a house in long island four bedrooms uh, two garages looks perfectly normal uh on the outside but maybe by the end you can't even get into the door you can't get in the front door eventually uh, Kimberly Ray Miller discovers that you know this is not the way everybody else lives so Kimberly did you ever say to your dad hey um tell me something why do you uh, why do you keep all these papers and did as hoarders sometimes think they they have a rational explanation for it.
3: Well, I think when, when I was younger, I don't think my father even saw that there was anything wrong with it. You know, this is, right. in his mind, this is how everyone lived. Hmm. Uh, my mother, on the other hand, could see. And, and there was constant fighting. It. You know, my mother really wanted my father to, to stop and change. And, you know, if you loved us, you wouldn't do this. Um, but he didn't see it. And so I've talked about him about it more recently, and, you know, he sort of says, and it's important to say that my parents really are doing a lot better now. They've right. been home for two years now, and it is clean by normal standards. They have people come in regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually in the writing of this book, we've discussed probably this more than we'd ever discussed it before. And so I talked to my dad about it, and he said, you know, when we were living like that, I didn't know how bad it was. But when I look back now, I can see how suffocating it was mm-hmm. to all of us. Right. And he says, you know, he he still does it. It's just that my mom is wakes up very early in the morning to throw out of all, all of his stuff before he wakes up. Sure. Um, But he says, you know, it's sort of like binge eating. You know, he doesn't realize mm-hmm. it until later.
5: Right. And he it, 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 sees some of it now. Um, when... There are various articles written over the last few weeks about you, including one that is a picture of uh, presumably your, your boyfriend. He's my
3: fiancé
5: now, actually. Oh, he's so your fiancé. Well, congratulations, Thank I must there. say. Best wishes and congratulations. And Okay, but he does have $40,000 worth of comic books. Now, that could be just like four really, really valuable comic books. I suspect he has a lot more than that. And you kind of nudged him into moving them into a store storage facility the storage facility of course uh, hit by hurricane sandy less than a year ago i suspect most of the stuff destroyed right all of it yeah everything. all of it but see that's the kind of trigger wouldn't it that, that would take a person with a susceptible to a hoarding personality to say, see, if I had just kept it in my house, it would have been protected, I could have moved it, I put it in the control of somebody else, and it's all ruined now. Did Did he have any sentiment in that direction?
3: Uh, no, you know, I was really, cause considering the way I grew up, I was really concerned that it yeah. was going to ruin, for a start, our relationship, but sure. also his mental health in that sense, and uh, I, I was actually very surprised because he took it in stride. I mean, it was his life's work destroyed by Hurricane, but he, you know, he said, "No, we couldn't have done anything else. Right. You know, we couldn't live with these no. in our living room." No, and he has other comic books um, in Israel. He's from Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to move them to the United States, and I sort of tentatively was like, where are we going to put these? And right. he said, they're going to have to go in storage because we do really? not live with them. And so, you know, I'm very grateful for that, obviously. But, uh, no, you know, it is. It's a difference in brain chemistry.
6: Yeah.
5: Absolutely. Um, That's the
3: difference between collecting things and hoarding tendencies.
5: Yeah, and I guess that's the next question. Collecting, don't tell my wife, by the way, that you can put things that you like, like my gigantic CD and LP collection in the storage locker. I mean, we just got down to one storage locker. I don't want to get another one. I don't want to put that stuff. I mean, I might really desperately need to listen to... Uh, you know, a band from 1964 <laughs> that you certainly would never have heard of. But, oh, okay, what's the difference between collecting? I mean, people are obsessive collectors, and I don't mean that in a mental illness sense, but, I mean, you have to have everything. You have to find there is one record by one artist that yours truly just found used. It was only issued for about six months. I've never done I paid $90 for it on ebay just the other day they said they're sending it to me now that's a little nutty i mean yes this is one of my favorite singer songwriters but really did i have to do that i don't think i'm a hoarder i don't like too much chaos but is is am i profoundly different for this obsessive interest in some kinds of writers enough to pay a ridiculous amount for a cd and what your father was doing he only spent Ten cents on the paper.
3: Yeah, I mean, honestly, my mom probably spent more shopping than my father did, wow. morning, and he amassed most of the things in the house um, because what he what he collected was newspapers and, and catalogs and magazines, and often things that he took secondhand from, you know, waiting rooms and, and right. his office. So.
5: Well. That was- he, is he in, uh, he did agree, I mean, there's a lot more to the story, but roughly there was a cry for help in the form of a, of a suicide attempt that you made between, I think, your freshman and sophomore years in college at Emerson College. And, uh, but, but then some things change, and they move, and now you say they're in a house that, relatively speaking, is clean. They have people coming in. Is he also in therapy? Is he seeing a psychiatrist to this day?
3: We are, are constantly on the search for the right therapist, um, and that is because there isn't effective treatment yet available for people with this disorder, and there are very few therapists who have experience in hoarding, and I'm really hoping that with all of the current cultural interest in it, more and more people will be trained. Deal with people with this particular disorder, um, and the few that are are not necessarily taking insurance. And you know, my parents right. are lower middle class people who yeah. can't afford to spend two hundred dollars a session right. on therapy. And so, you know, we we've been trying to go to people that is insurance accepts, and, and they don't really have experience. And so, it's it's a process of meeting and trying and failing. Um, I know more success has been found in behavioral therapy as opposed right. to cognitive therapy, uh, but it's still not um, proven yet.
6: So
5: no.
3: there's a lot a lot of work that still needs to be done on the professional end.
5: Uh, one of the things that this raises, of course, is, is the cause. Just yesterday, we talked to a guy at Sports Illustrated about the possible genetic component to genuine, I mean, extraordinary athletic prowess, and there's some indication that uh, in Certain characteristics that make a great basketball player, a great runner, uh, they're not necessarily a single gene, but genes that are starting to be found that seem to work not in competition with each other, but in collaboration with each other to make that Achilles tendon longer, to make you a better high jumper. Is there any indication so far that hoarding has a connection to a relatively specific gene, or is this too likely to be just a combination of things, sometimes even exacerbated by the nature of the environment around it?
3: Well, I think there's still a lot of research uh, being done on that particular topic. I know that the marker they did find was on a particular chromosome. Hmm. Um, So perhaps it has a specific uh, marker in the body, but uh, a lot of genes that are present are not necessarily turned on in all aspects of our genetics. And So they often say that it takes a trauma for for a hoarder to really um, switch gears, um, that they may have those tendencies, but they can keep it under check until there's a trauma that really um, right. affects them and they lose that sense of
5: control. Yeah, I think the yeah. gentleman yesterday would say that in, in some instances uh, it is uh, a, a trauma, like a head trauma, which in, in sports medicine they actually are linking to some pretty specific areas of, of chromosome GNA, DNA activity. Um When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Kimberly Ray Miller, the author of Coming Clean, and we're going to explore a couple of other things. Uh, Aside from genetics, anything in the background of her parents, for example, or her dad, aside from the aunt who was also a hoarder, any events that might help to precipitate this? And then if you're a child of a hoarder, what do you do today in 2013? We'll be back on Culture Shots.
7: Every month, Americans United for Separation of Church and State publishes an award-winning magazine called Church and State. It exposes efforts by the so-called religious right to eat away at the core principles of religious freedom. Should your tax dollars fund expensive private religious schools and cut back funding for your local public schools? Should government bureaucrats get back in the business of writing unity prayers for your children to recite at school? Should we teach good, solid science or replace it with religious Messages about intelligent design. Should special interest groups force your school library to take popular books from the Harry Potter series to Judy Bloom novels off the shelves? These are the issues explored every month in Church and State magazine. To learn more, go to www.au.org. Americans United fights to protect and promote the constitutional principle of church-state separation. For more information, please call us at one eight hundred eight seven five three seven zero seven.
2: Chef 5-Minute Meals, the complete self-contained bug-out meal. No water needed to rehydrate this survival food. Everything for a hot home-style meal is already included. Steaming hot in just 5 minutes, anytime, anywhere. Perfect for disasters or distress, yet great for every day. Shelf stable for 5 years without refrigeration. For a limited time, buy a 12-pack of assorted meals and get free shipping to the lower 48. Order at chef5mm.com or call 888-959-6502. Ceramic body armor is rated to stop six hits. But what about the seventh? Unlike ceramic or Kevlar, Infidel body armor is proven to take hit after hit, and it just won't quit. Reasonably priced and designed for the smart civilian prepper, Infidel stops hundreds of hits from small arms to high-powered rifles. That means safety and peace of mind. Buy yours at InfidelBodyArmor.com. Spelled I-N-F-I-D-E-L BodyArmor.com. Infidel body armor just won't quit. This October, thousands of people from all corners of the world will descend upon Orem, Utah. But it's more than the fall colors or the snow-capped Wasatch Mountains that brings them. It's the semi-annual Great Utah Preparedness Expo at the Utah Valley University Event Center. It's the most unique preparedness event on Earth, with over 30 world-class lecturers giving over 50 presentations. Learn from experts about below-ground greenhouses, super winter survival, herbal medicine, bunker building, even urban evasion and escape tactics taught by SEAL team trainers. These people are the very best and they only get together twice a year at the Great Utah Preparedness Expo. There's also over 100 vendors selling very unique preparedness emergency and survival equipment, plus solar and alternative energy products. The semi-annual Great Utah Preparedness Expo October 11th and 12th in Orem, Utah. Sponsored by Youngevity. For more, visit SuperPrepFair.com. That's SuperPrepFair.com.
5: Are back and we're wrapping up today's conversation about this extraordinary book called coming clean this is much better you want to learn about hoarding uh the reality tv show shows you some things uh but i'm not a huge fan of it i'm terribly interested in this issue kimberly ray miller has written coming clean as a memoir of growing up in a house where her father was a hoarder and uh, where you literally had a kind of scrunch around your own bed and her mom had to Uh, sleep in odd positions, because with just too much stuff, lots of informational material, magazines, books, and particularly newspapers, it just filled up the house. Um, You and I, Kimberly, are not psychiatrists, but do you think that there is a genesis to this behavior, possibly, that is not genetic? In other words, if you looked into the background of your father, the way he grew up, genetics aside, anything that might have been so... Traumatic, psychologically, physically, that it could have contributed to this kind of reaction. I have to save everything because I'm such a vulnerable person.
3: Absolutely, and I think a great resource for people who want to learn more about that is a book by Randy Frost and Gail Stekati called Stuff Coming, I'm sorry, Stuff Compulsive Horting, The Meaning of Things, because they really are the experts on on this particular aspect. Um, But one of the things they discuss in in their research is that a lot of times children who are neglected early in development uh, start to form connections to things as opposed to people. Um, so when, when they're not getting the sort of emotional feedback they need as children. Right. These tendencies can start to mm. form. And I know for my father, both of his parents were violent alcoholics. Um, mm. Mm. and he doesn't talk about his childhood at all. I've only learned these things sort of secondhand through right. other family members because he refuses to talk about his childhood. And, you know, they died when he was very young. And I think he really was sort of left on his own to protect himself. His sister was much older than he, and so she left home when he was still a child. And he really had no one to protect him um, from these violent people. And I remember when I was writing this book, uh, I was actually starting work at a magazine, and it was my first day of work. Mm. And my father had called me to wish me good luck and, you know, give me my first day of work pep talk. and. The conversation turned to what a shy child I was, and he said, well, you know, I was actually really shy as a kid,
6: too. Hmm.
3: And my father is this really, really jolly, gregarious man. He looks like Santa Claus. (laughs) And I said, you know, I just I don't believe you. And he (laughs) said, no, you know, there was so much for me to hide at home, I didn't want anyone to notice me. And that was really the first time I realized that my father and I had very, very similar childhoods.
5: Yeah, very similar childhoods, and and then, of course, it turns out there's different outcomes. You didn't, uh, at some point uh, growing up, say... You know, I think I'd better call the police. Uh, I don't. I, I think I'd better call child protective custody. I mean, you went along with this, and the, and the final breakdown really came as you started college or right after your first year of college. Is there better support now for children of hoarders? For example, here's a hypothetical: If somebody listening to this show is like 18 years old and is living at home and knows that the, you know that their tunnels being, you have to go through tunnels to get to the bathroom is there somebody she or he can call and say I'm living in a sea of trash help me what will the average municipal government or police force do if they get such a call in 2013
3: you know I honestly don't know I think that it really depends on whoever is on the other end of that sort of call I think um our foster system is so exhausted in right. many ways and so i think it really depends on the situation and whether or not those experts feel like those children would be better off outside the home it and it? so it depends on the, the each case in each situation
5: there are of course some states that have stronger laws that is to say uh, for the protection of children i'd say weaker laws that make it difficult to force a hoarder out of his home whether he has a child or not, or to require them to clear out gradually what's in the home. I mean, there are laws that have a negative impact on trying to get, if not the mental help, the practical help so that someone at least sees an alternative way to live.
3: Well, I think both of those are needed at the same time. I think forced cleanouts really don't work in the long no. term. And I know that from my experience. And they actually oftentimes create that sort of anxiety that will lead to further hoarding. And so putting that kind of pressure on hoarders is often necessary because they need to clean up for their own health and well-being, but also that of the community and people who live with them.
6: Mm.
3: But um, there needs to be a mental health aspect involved as well because it is a trauma for them and it's really important to note that these people aren't just... Collecting because they want to hurt people because they want no. to hurt themselves. It really is a mental illness. It's a compulsive disorder. It's not rational, and so they're going to need someone there to help them. Help uh, help them manage those anxieties afterwards.
5: Yeah, I, I I don't I also don't want people to think that you know if they have a coin collection in the closet that they are mentally ill. One of the criticisms of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, not just about this but about ADHD and a lot of other things, is that. Some people say we're medicalizing all kinds of behavior that at the very extremes uh, you know are serious and dis- make for a dysfunctional life but maybe closer in eh, it's just an idiosyncrasy you can live with it how bad does hoarding need to be to be declared a mental disorder now that it is in that statistical manual in the first place and what percentage of people in the country do you think fit into the category
3: well i think I think the, the recent statistic I read is between two and five percent of mm. Americans, and so I'm not sure about our global community, but in america i'd say two to five percent of the population is is diagnosed or self diagnosed admitting of being hoarders. I think it's probably much higher than that because I think there's right. an illness that is very very much uh, based in denial but um, it's, a lar- it's a large number of people. There are wow. millions and millions of people in this country who are dealing with this, and not just the people who are hoarding, but their families and their friends as well. Um, are you know, there... I think to, if it's really affecting your life, yeah. I mean, if if you really can't function, if, if you're causing mental and physical harm to other people in your life, this is something that really, really needs to be addressed.
5: Are there companies, private companies, for example, that might uh, make it, their business to come in, talk to hoarders, explain that some think, that they understand the issue and that they're willing to help clean, and they're going to do this in a very, very systematic way. They're going to show the person every item, and they're going to say, now, do you really need that? Is there any company doing it? And if so, claiming to do it, does it actually work?
3: Well, I know there are a lot of personal organizers coming out with this right. sort of, you know, I will help you overcome this. Um, is there one specific that's successful? I'm not sure. I think that this is still, it's still such a new concept to people. And, and you know, for so long it was just considered this group of really lazy, disgusting people. Right. Um, and now people are learning more about it and, and we're realizing how many people are affected by it. But there's no, you know, tried and true way of dealing with it either on the mental health aspect or on the professional aspect. I know there are uh, companies that deal with garbage removal right? In all sorts of arenas, and and they're making a huge profit from the, the sort of coming out
5: sure. of hoarding. Sure, sure. Uh, are you familiar with uh, this idea of oblutophobia, the fear of being clean in the first place?
3: I have heard of that, and I, I'm not sure if it's the same as hoarding. I'm sure they hmm. overlap, Um in many places, but I wouldn't say that they're linked
5: exclusively. Okay, so they could be entirely separate genetic and life uh, events that cause it. So, final question. Uh, when you look at your life and you r- write this book, and mo- writing books, at least the books I've written, I find to be cathartic, even if they're only partially about myself. What do you think you have any lingering? Issues. I mean, significant enough that you've got to pay attention to them as you think about having a boyfriend, having a fiance, getting married, having children, anything that troubles you about the way you grew up that you fear might somehow have an impact on your own parenting skills eventually.
3: Absolutely. You know, I my mom often jokes that I, I get so anxious when things are dirty mm. that, you know, having children is going to be really hard for me. I'm probably going to <laughs> donate them to Goodwill <laughs> um, because I, I have this sort of anxiety. But I'm very lucky that, you know, I have someone in my life who sort of keeps me in balance and that I'm getting a little bit better as I get older.
6: That's great. Um,
3: you, know, you know, I think hoarding is mm. something that is often started, initiated by a trauma, and yeah. I do have that fear that there is this gene in me.
5: That one day some trauma can come along well, and I'm gone, and you're and you're gone. Well, let us hope that doesn't happen. This is an extraordinarily useful book for anybody who's going through this experience. Uh, and you mentioned Randy Frost's book, Stuff, which is again a much more detailed look at a multitude of cases, not nearly in as much depth as, as Coming Clean, but to give you a lot of good research, scientific research, to back up uh, what's going on here as well. The book's Coming Clean. Kimberly Ray Miller, thanks for being our guest. That's listening to Culture Shocks, and we'll talk again.
2: This has been produced by Diane Robinson, engineered by Dwayne Davis, and the Genesis Communication Network technical staff. Visit us online at cultureshocks.com.
10: Hey, all you Dead Doctors Don't Lie fans, this is Justin Baker. If you missed the Doc Wallach seminar in January right here in Santa Cruz, then now is your chance to see him again. Dr. Wallach is going to be doing a Central California Health Tour the first week in September 2013. You'll have four opportunities to attend his world-renowned health lecture, which is helping people from around the globe reverse disease. Doc will be at the Pacific Cultural Center at 1307 Seabright Avenue in Santa Cruz on Tuesday, September 3rd. The doors open at 6.30 p.m. On Wednesday, September 4th at 6.30 p.m., we will be in Modesto at Soul Harvest Warships Center, 4718 Greenleaf Court, followed by two lectures on Thursday, September 5th at 1030 a.m. at Mosswood Park Great Hall at 3612 Webster Street in Oakland. And the last event of the health tour will be in Sacramento the evening of September 5th at 630 p.m. at the Church of Scientology at 1007 6th Street. Don't miss these life-changing events. Seating is limited, so contact me today at 831-331-9523. That's 831-331-9523 to reserve your free VIP seats.
11: Attention, citizens. I have received inside information revealing that global terrorists are targeting us again. Their target is not Washington, New York City, or even Disneyland. Rather, it is Concord. You know, in New Hampshire, the state capital. Even though only about 43,000 people live there, Concord apparently has strategic significance for the local police, fully backed by the city council, are preparing for a horrific terroristical assault. Specifically, they're seeking $258,000 from the Department of Homeland Security so they can gird themselves by purchasing a Linco Bearcat G3 armored vehicle. This bold stand to defend the homeland was revealed by the New Hampshire Civil Liberties Union, which obtained a copy of the grant request. Actually, it is not Al-Qaeda terrorists that have Concord's police gearing up for war, but, quote, the domestic type of terrorists. Really? In Concord? Yes, insists police, referring vaguely to daily challenges and warning that the threat is real and here. Who are these domestic demons? The police finger two groups Occupy New Hampshire, whose violence has mostly been in the form of doing litter pickup days, and the Free State Project, a libertarianish outfit trying to convince 20,000 like minded people to move to New Hampshire. Neither group is armed or dangerous, and both are committed to nonviolence. Yet the police claim they need a Bearcat G3 to respond to terrorism involving, quote, chemical, biological, and radiological materials, as well as explosive gases. This is Jim Hightower saying the most explosive gas in this case is coming from police officials who have tagged their own peaceful citizens as terrorists. And the real threat to our security is the Department of Homeland Security, which keeps shoveling our tax dollars into the militarization of police forces all across the country.
4: In recent years, more Americans are becoming uncertain about the future, especially since the idea of global warming has evolved from a political debate to a general acceptance that climate change is real. It's resulting in more violent weather and violent extremes in temperature. It serves no purpose here to speak of fear or to live in fear. But there are common sense signs that suggest that our food security is being impacted. The USDA makes annual forecasts of our nation's corn crop each year. It's instructive to review recent corn yields simply to look at how they are faring with regard to projections. You know, a majority of our diet has corn in it. Did you know that corn production in America has fallen below normal for the past several years? The 2012 crop averaged only 123 bushels to the acre, which is almost one fourth below USDA projections. This year, the USDA is projecting another record crop, while one half of the country remains in severe drought. At the same time, we're eating our way through our cattle herds. Ranchers are cutting back herd size because of drought. This year's calf crop will be the lowest since 1949, and the annual calf crop has been declining since 1995. None of this is very good news for our food supply. Recently, I discovered a service called Go Foods. The company packages and sells dehydrated, non-GMO, ready-to-eat meals with a long shelf life. After investigating the company, I bought a URL, and it's called www kcaafoods.com now this website forwards to the go foods product site again go foods packages prepares and delivers monthly supplies of ready-to-eat dehydrated non-gmo meals right to your residence you simply order it online and you get a month's supply by mail my go Foods service costs a little over hundred dollars a month and in a few months, I'll have a good stockpile of non-GMO meals in my pantry. Some meals have a shelf life of over a decade, so my wife just stores them in ice chests and then they can be accessed later if we need them. Also, some people buy Go Foods and add them to their regular menu. Either way, it's a good deal. Obviously, committing $100 a month to stored foods is a cheap insurance policy. So to subscribe to this food service just like I have, go to the following website www.kcaafoods.com or call toll free 855-909-1050 My name is Fred Lundgren I'm the founder and CEO of KCAA Radio and I agree with this message. for Sheriff's Fundraiser
5: and Campaign Kickoff on August 22nd at Riley's Park, 12261 South Oak Glen Road, Oakland, California. Details and tickets available online at www.sheriffpaul2014.com. Join us for good old-fashioned barbecue, hay rides, and live entertainment. Come on up and see us. That's on August 22nd at Riley's Farm, 12261 South Oakland Road, Oakland, California.
1: Hey, everybody. It's Deuce from Clark's Nutrition and Natural Foods Market. Have you ever noticed that the word change is found in the word challenge? We have, and that's why we have the highest trained and most understanding staff around. They will assist you in picking out the freshest produce, finding the perfect supplement, or figuring out which cereal has the most fiber. Whatever you need to turn your challenges into change. Clark's, changing the way you shop for health day by day.
2: You're on board KCAA's Inland Talk Express. KCAA, Loma Linda, 1050
1: AM, the station that leaves no listener behind.
4: Life is like a
2: There's a battle for the soul of America.
4: We can't let him tear the kingdom down.
2: This is no game. This is war.
4: Flesh and blood. It's
9: between the bad and good. We can't stop until the trumpet's sound.
2: The only question is which side will you be on? It's time now for a call to decision with Pastor Butch Paul. Satan's come to kill this is
12: war. Hello and welcome. This is Pastor Butch Paul, the twenty-eighth day of August 2013. Welcome to the broadcast tonight. We're going to we're in for a treat tonight. A lady that I had on the program, it's been I don't know, eight months, a year ago. Peg McCamey, of the McCameys, obviously. They'll be coming to sing for us here uh, next Friday night, September 6th to 7 o'clock at the Nazarene Campground in in Somerville, West Virginia. It's going to join us. We're going to ask you a lot of questions. Get to know her a little better if you don't mind. It's going to be kind of a light hearted broadcast. Friend talking to friend, brother to sister. And you're welcome to join us if you want to at 855 242. 8824 855-242-8824. And again, if you want to call and check on how to find this place in Somerville, West Virginia, you can call our office at 304 846 4448. And I'll be in office all day tomorrow from 9 to 4 Eastern to take your phone calls, answer your questions about anything you want to talk about. Tomorrow is my chance to speak to you folks. And I hope you'll call and talk to us. If we get a little busy, may ask you to call back or something. But don't be offended, folks. I want to talk to all of you. I do mean that.